0: forward slash phishing test now NoBefore before wants to thank you for listening to the show and i want to thank them for sponsoring it they are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated phishing platform be sure to take advantage of their free phishing test which you can find at nobeforecom forward slash phishing test think NoBefore before for your security training from the cyber hub bunker in studio You're listening to the CISO Talk Podcast. No sales, no bullshit, just straight talk. Straight talk. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Hey, folks, happy Thursday. Welcome to the CISO Talk Podcast podcast i hope you guys have enjoyed your thanksgiving break last week we were off but we're coming back this week and uh, december is a shorter month but so for those who don't know i did veteran november and if this is like if you missed 30 some odd episodes and a great night of drinking uh with veterans um then uh you may have not been aware of that which would be really really weird but um, I couldn't get everyone in. I had to do like I double featured on Thanksgiving and Black Friday. I double featured on the Sunday thereafter to get all of them in and um, and then Matt Matthew showed up. And and Matthew was like, "Hey James, I want to be a part of it." And I said, "Great, Matthew. We'll do a CISO talk, and we'll talk a little bit about veteran November, and then we'll talk a lot about cyber." And so you're tuning into that. Joining me in the um, uh, virtually today is Matthew Herring. He's the director of IT security over at RealPage. Matthew, welcome to the
1: show. Hey James, thank you.
0: Folks, before we get started with Matthew, though, make sure you subscribe right now. If you're watching us on YouTube, turn on the notification bell. Just press it. It's right there. Just hit the notification bell. That way, you know, every time we post a new podcast for the month of December and beyond. Okay. Uh, You can get all of our content at our website at cyberhubpodcast.com, where you can see our practitioner brief, our tech corner, our obviously Cisco Talk podcast, and Goodbye Privacy as well. And now let's get right into today's episode. Matthew... Tell us a little bit about so so for for those listening. Hang on, let me let me let me do a pre because they're going to be like, wait a minute, this is where this isn't the CISO talk format. So because we're kind of doing we're doing a mesh up. Okay, this is a mesh up episode. A little bit of Veteran November, a lot of CISO talk, but we're we're, we're meshing this up a little bit. So um, Matthew, let's kind of get started. What branch of the service did you serve in? How long were you in for, um, and so forth? And what'd you do?
1: yeah so I oh so I was in uh the Marine Corps for seven years from two thousand to two thousand seven as a a tactical data system specialist and so a lot of work on uh, Windows server deployments exchange server deployments and just um, tearing up and, and or tearing down and standing up uh, active directory domains for tactical networks
0: and so you were pretty much a networking guy in the Marine Corps. You did that for seven years and then you kind
1: of transitioned out, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So got out, didn't really have a lot of job prospects. Um, You know, I made a, an interesting decision to separate from the Marines during the middle of the 2008 financial crisis. So um, was able, you know, really kind of had to pound the pavement uh, to try and find some opportunities. And so it it took a little bit of time, but ended up getting lucky and finding a, a, a job as a data center technician at a, a small startup and, you know, that helped them grow and, and really, uh, you know spent a lot of time learning an area that I hadn't been particularly strong in, in the past.
0: So l- let's talk a little bit about that transition. You kind of transitioned out in the middle of a financial crisis when the pretty much entire world economy came to, a to a standstill and people were unsure of what it took to recover from that. So, you not only took seven years in the military, now you're in transitioning when we're at the highest unemployment rate, I think since the great depression at the time. So talk a little bit about what that was like for you to transition out during that period of time and, and pounding the pavement and, and what you had to do in order to, to really find yourself in that type of economy.
1: Yeah, it was, I mean, just day in day out, it it essentially became my full-time job was looking for employment. And so um, lots of career fairs. Just you know, eight hours a day on my computer, trying to to look for jobs. Um, hitting hitting any job fair in the Dallas Fort Worth area that I could find, and um, you know, and it, it ended up paying off. You know, persistence was key there for sure.
0: Talk a little bit about that paying off. How long did it take for it to pay off, and what were some of the obstacles in the process?
1: So the hard thing was is, is you know, one of the things is obviously translating your skills from the marine corps into um into the civilian world communicating some of those intangible skills that you gain you know planning and stuff like that um but ultimately it was it it really became you know hey what's where can i get myself gangly employed um and so you know it took a couple of months um you know, there's lots of good benefits. So that helped kind of cushion the transition. I was lucky in that I didn't have any kids or, you know, any family to support. It was just me. So I was able to kinda kinda knuckle down and really focus on that. And um you know, got really lucky. Uh was really grateful that I had an opportunity. It it wasn't exactly what I was looking for, but I felt in that time, you know, there was probably any job was a good job. And it ended up being a really good job. Uh, learned a lot. I had a lot of opportunities to grow at that company and it definitely set me up for where I'm at today.
0: So talk a little bit about how you got into cybersecurity because in the, in the Marine Corps you were kind of more of a networking guy and a lot of people attribute networking to cyber but networking is a part of cybersecurity but cybersecurity is a much more expanded domain so, what was that? How'd you get into cyber? What was that transition like? What'd you do, and what was the steps that you took in order to get to the point where you are today, where you know you're a director of IT security?
1: Yeah. So i I feel like I kind of lucked my way into it. You know, it's one of those where you just kind of stumble into the role. Um, had done a lot of time in IT. Was doing uh, customer support at the time, um, and was approached by the um, the VP of IT security at the time, and VP of risk management, and You know, he'd asked if I wanted to do compliance. And it was, I was at kind of a crossroads in my career where, you know, I could either move down further down the path of system administration and, you know, kind of getting the techie route or um, getting into compliance and security. And at the time, I didn't really understand what I was getting myself into when I was doing compliance, um, but it sounded interesting. Um, had a little bit of an intro. I'd done a little bit of research and conferred with some of my confidants on, you know, hey, what do you guys think? Um, and ended up choosing the, the compliance role. Um, and had spent the last two weeks of, as I was transitioning out of my old row for customer support into the new role for compliance. Uh, you know, my immediate supervisor who I was transitioning under gaming this 853 it was like, read this and go build some interviews for. You know for our VP level staff to start to build a you know essentially what it was it was the uh the state of our security controls and they were go- undergoing an assessment for fisma uh, trying to get a deal and you know under the the at the time it was the gsa bpa and um it it was a kind of a it was a really cool opportunity because instead of focusing on like super techie or um you know kind of like in the weeds type stuff it was real broad Um, so a lot of looking into like policy procedure, but also the technical controls, preventative, detective, um, administrative type controls, and just really getting understanding of where we were at, we were at across the business, um, with regards to our security controls. And so it was a way to really get a broad exposure really quickly on information security and, um, you know obviously, kind of walking in blind, not really knowing what I was doing, subscribe to a bunch of podcasts, read a bunch of books, watched a bunch of videos, trying to get my feet on the ground to really learn this stuff quickly. And um, it it just it was super interesting, um, really enjoyed it. Um, and really kind of took off from there. So did a couple of years in compliance as an internal auditor. Um, once again, great opportunity, absolutely loved it. Um, and then was given the opportunity to stand up the Security Operations Center. And so it was myself, we brought, you know, as the manager for the SOC, we brought on a director to kind of run the whole program um, and hired some staff and just built the whole thing from the ground up. So looking at the people and the process and the technology um, and ended up building just a really amazing team, a really amazing SOC. Um, you know, I still keep in contact, you know, several years later with some of the folks that I used to work with over there. And it was just an amazing team. Uh, from there, you know, went to my next role. Um, a little bit of SOC work, a little bit more heavily focused in like SIM administration, um, use case development, uh, security logging, just really kind of getting in the specifics to make sure that we had the visibility. Um, you know, helped, helped them build some of their international teams. So, um, looked at the APAC region and spent some time hiring some folks out there with the team. Um, and then transitioned into my current role where, uh, you know, leading application security, which is another area that I'm Really interested in, but hadn't had a lot of exposure in. So it's a really cool learning opportunity for me. And then security operations, uh, vulnerability management, um, and then a little bit of kind of external monitoring too. So it's it's definitely been an, an interesting uh, career path. A lot of fun. Um, you know, it's it's really cool when you get to go in every day and learn something new. Pretty much every day you're there.
0: Right. That's um that's always extremely um uh, uh, extremely the, the the journey of going through those steps is always um very fascinating and very uh rewarding um because it takes um um <laughs> it takes perseverance preparation um you know you did this all what's really interesting about your transition to me is is you know, you did it during a financial crisis, which, you know, for a lot of people at that time, and I know uh, people who were enlisted at the time that stuck around for four more years um, because they were afraid to go out into the marketplace simply because they saw the unemployment rate. They saw how difficult it was for a lot of people to get a job. So um, so you being able to do that and, and and the perseverance of it, you know, kind of reflects into what's going on today with COVID, Right where we're seeing a lot of companies cut down, we're seeing um, you know unemployment rates start to <clears> recover, but really um, um, a lot of uncertainty economically right now, and mm-hmm. and, and, and you know, so kind of a place well on times.
1: Um. <laughs> yeah, two uh, major two major financial crises, and you know, in a generation is is more than enough, I think.
0: Well, I, I, I think in the U.S. I saw something that said that, like every eight years, seven, eight years we have a some sort of financial crisis, right, so in two thousand, yeah, we had the dot com bubble burst, two thousand and eight the financial crisis uh, we really haven't had one since o eight, and the financial crisis we have now isn't because of the financial system, but rather it's because you know of the uh covid nineteen uh china virus, so um um you know, something to kind of keep in mind that economically we were. on on a trajectory to really just dominate, you know, the capital markets. So.
1: Yeah. One of those black swan events.
0: It is. um, It it absolutely is. Let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, you being a veteran transitioning into the civilian sector. um, Talk a little bit about the kind of, you know, the work that you do uh, as a veteran, how being a veteran has kind of, you know set you up for what you're doing today and and what you would tell other veterans listening or people who are still enlisted who are looking to get into infosec what what would be some of the advice you would give them today
1: yeah i think honestly one of the the most useful skills that i've i've received in my time in the military actually wasn't around it or security it was planning and uh, you know i had a captain of mine who i still keep in contact with you know he's a bit of a mentor of mine and you know, he he really drilled in on you know, devils in the details and in planning and uh operational risk management and things like that. So, you know, my advice to, to people in the military is know that your skills transfer. Um know that there's a lot of things that you do on a day to day basis that don't necessarily reflect your day job and that you can use those skills to be successful. Um I would also, you know, caution that um, there's, there's tactics and techniques for leadership and um, you know, day-to-day work that don't necessarily equate to success in the, in, in the outside. And so, you know, stay humble, uh, continue to understand that there's so much that you can learn and continue to learn, learn new ways to solve problems, learn new ways to, to work with people and, and lead people. Use that baseline that you get in the military and just continue to grow.
0: Yeah, there's um, there's significant advantages um, to that, which is stay true to course, right? I think I always tell you know whenever I speak to veterans and they go, "Well, how do I get an infosec?" It's like just stay true to your mission, man. Just mm-hmm. realize what part of uh, what part of um, you know infosec um, you want to be in. Study InfoSec because InfoSec is beyond networking, right? Because you started in networking, if I'm correct. It was
1: actually yeah, server administration, but right. so it wasn't wasn't networking, but it was uh, more on like the system side.
0: Right, and so you go from a system admin, and you realize that's only one small spec of what cyber really is, and yeah. you know, the term information security or cybersecurity or data security is. Three things that describe if if you know what I'm going to do is that the next live event, I'm going to set up a table every single day and I'm kind of going to do the Steven Crowder style. I'm going to make a little sign that says, you know, uh, data security is garbage. Change my mind um, and, see, <laughs> and, see, and see what people um, what people come up and have a discussion on, because really we have three um, very interesting terms. And, and if you ask anyone what they mean, you're going to get. 500 I think different explanations. Yeah. Right? And I think that's the confusing part for a lot of people that want to get into infosec is they feel like you can either be a pen tester a SOC analyst or a GRC guy, but there's so much more to it than just those mm-hmm. three things. There's, you know, threat intel and there's project management and you know, there's architecture and yeah. cloud security and, and 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 network security and Email security, which is going to be a whole, you know, communication security, I think, which is going to be a whole new subsector of, of, of security as a whole, is going to be communication integrity and security. Um, which I think as we now start to divest outside of the traditional networks and traditional offices, and we start to see more man in the middle attacks trying to take over communications, um, we're going to start to see the whole communication security uh uh, come back up and, and and a lot of companies are going to start to invest in building those teams.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's going to be like the single core only in, 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 in private sector.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: so Matt, uh, Matthew, let's talk about um a little bit about cyber. Let's, let's transition. We're going to get back and I'll ask you a final question here at the end of the podcast that I ask everyone, but I'm not going to tell you what the question is yet. Uh, Cause I don't want you to get ready for it. Um, I, want keep you, I kind of want to keep you on your toes. Let's talk a little bit about cybersecurity and let's talk a bit about leadership, which is, you know, cyber is a team sport. It's never a one man job. So talk a little bit about what you look for uh, as you're building your teams, what key skills you look for um, in, in your next team members and employees.
1: I think the first thing that that comes to mind is just passion for the role. Um, you know, you get people come in and it's their day job and, um, I really look for the folks who are, you know, they get that sparkle in their eye when they start talking shop. They're really, they're excited about it. Um, they like what they do. They're interested in it. They take it home with them and they, they read books and watch videos and really trying to learn on their own. Um, and then bring that back into the office every day to continue to grow and to continue to make things better. Um, so passion is probably number one. Um, humility is a good part of it because in this in this career field, you don't know everything. You'll never know any, everything. Um, and so it's, it's important to understand that and not to be like the kind of, you know, try and be the smartest guy in the room, but to work with the team, to ask lots of questions and to really try and understand the situation as a whole. Um, and then just being able to work with people. Um, you know, once again, you said it, this is a team sport. Um, you don't go about this alone. And so I like to see you know, how people do conflict resolution, how they work with particularly difficult or thorny people in situations, uh, to make sure that we are, you know, we're all accomplishing the same goal, um, uh, without being an impediment to the business or being an impediment to relationship building, um, to, to really help, you know, bring on the people that we're, we're working with to, uh, to help protect the information and the assets that we're charged with, charged with protecting.
0: So when you talk about some of those skills, a hunger for the role and kind of being a little bit more to the job, are is there anything specific um, that you look for on a, on a CV, right? Because our first impression of anyone we plan to hire is a one, two or three page document with a bunch of words on it that someone's kind of trying to nail a little bit of what they um what 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 you're looking for. How does someone get your attention on their CV?
1: I think growth is is something that I'll look for, um, and so see have they have they continue to grow and try new things. Um, people who who show they can think about problem solving, and sometimes you, it's hard to reflect on a resume or a CV, um, but I'll you know I'll look for at people who, who've solved the problem or who may have a broad exposure to a number of different tools. Uh, because in security, you know, the, the technology changes so frequently, but the underlying fundamentals pretty much stay the same, you see the same TTPs, um, you see, you know, similar attack vectors, um, the tools to protect, detect and respond to those are different and in change and grow and mature and um some come up some get you know go by the wayside but ultimately if you understand the fundamentals of what you're doing um you're know, looking for somebody who has experience in like an it role or a networking role and then transition in security is something that's that's good as well
0: yeah there, there's you're, you're absolutely correct about that i mean um it's trying to to get you know attention in a cv is extremely difficult for a lot of people you know one of the things you talked about as we we were talking about translating your skills from the marine corps to the civilian life right there's a lot of organizations out there for people that are listening that really do give you this free support where they'll tell Mm -hmm. you write it in marine or army or air force or navy language and we'll translate it to civilian language and those are many of those are free services, so take advantage of it or reach out to any veteran. We'll tell you how to translate this thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's, absolutely. Uh, it's one of those where you know I, I get I got a a, a, a group of CVs uh, last week, and many of them are you know veterans. And so reading them, I was just like, I can tell who actually used the service and who did it, and <laughs> um and, and everyone who did it, and I reached out to them and said, listen, I get your CV, but no one else will. Right. Unless they're a veteran. And you got to remember that only one percent of the population serves here in the military. So just keep that in mind that your your chances of nailing a veteran are one in one hundred pretty much. So, yeah, like, like, you know, or one in one million. I'm sorry. One in one million. So, like, keep your eyes on the prize, buddy. Um, and, 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 you know, get this stuff done. So it's it's really exactly. interesting.
1: So. And that's one of the skills that you learn in the military is perseverance. And so that's one of those things that if people are getting out, just know that you have to continue to, to pound the pavement and just throw it out there. And eventually you'll land something. And then with what you've learned in the military, you grow. And that's been probably one of the most important things that I've taken away is just being able to, um, to, to grow and to continue to learn and, and know that, you know, as long as you put in your all and as long as you work hard, that you'll you'll continue to improve and to to grow your career outside of the military.
0: Yeah, you've you've always got to strive for more in the civilian world, especially. Um, you're really not given a lot of breaks like you would in the um, um, in in the military. I feel like in the military, we're prone and encouraged to make mistakes so we can learn from them. You know, mm-hmm. b- but in the civilian world, especially in security, um, you know, one mistake could be the difference between having a job and not having a job. And we see that with, you know, a lot of breaches where a security team is overhauled, almost like a, you know, a bad play by a head coaching staff in a game.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's uh, it's it's a it's a fine line to walk for sure. Um, but ultimately, I think if you if you teach the teams to own some of the smaller mistakes, and, you know, look at, you know, if somebody does something that that causes an outage, or, um, you know, has has another material impact, you let them take ownership of that and fix the problem themselves. And I, you know, there's been a, a couple of times where, you know, we've done that where, Okay, this mistake happened. How are we going to fix this moving forward? How do we make sure that these things don't happen again? and, and have that individual own the process and own um, the resolution of that issue to make sure that you know they, they become that subject matter expert. And that's I, I think that allows people to, to take more calculated risks when they're doing an investigation or when they' they're taking action on something that they, when they know that like leadership has their back and is going to, allow them to to make mistakes and then fix those mistakes
0: so let's talk a little bit about cyber for a minute where do you spend most of your time as a director of IT security what what is what does it really mean and where do you spend a lot of your time
1: yeah so most of the time right now is you know focused on uh, you know guiding the uh, the kind of midterm vision where we're at right now so really looking at you know, what's our maturity level and what can we do to continue to drive that forward? And so, you know, I spend a lot of time with the team trying to figure out, you know, at, at their level, what are they working on? What are the problems that they feel they could solve and um, where do they need support to get those uh, those problems resolved? And so either from like a technological standpoint or, you know, process improvements or just getting people together. Um, it's it's asking those questions, kind of looking forward, looking down the horizon um, and then helping kind of set that waypoint uh, to allow us to to have that guidepost. So, you know, as as we progress throughout the year, the two years, the three years and, and execute on our roadmap, making sure that we have that pin on the map. Um, so, you know, what we will as we veer off course with the day to day, we still have that north star for us to kind of look towards. Uh, to make sure that we're uh, we're staying focused on the things that are going to help us solve some of those day-to-day problems that come up and prevent them from happening.
0: So you bring up um, kind of the, the the day-to-day management of cyber and really just kind of, you know, there's the short-term day-to-day goals, which is, you know, predominantly, I think, and for most organizations, they're pretty much the same, which is, you know, the, the alerts that come through your tools that let you know that something may or may not be happening right mm-hmm. and that's typically you know that's early on in your career you kind of brought that up of working and building a sock and the sock analyst role and managing a sim and so forth there's there's that aspect of it and that's i say that's the short term putting out fires that's more of like a 911 center right mm-hmm. i think that's yeah. you know like a sock analyst is pretty much like a 911 operator you see something. You get a call. You get a nine one one alert that there's an emergency. You go. You look at it. It's either an emergency or or it's not. In a predominant amount of the time, it's really not. It's you know something somewhere that someone did, and and so forth. And it's dismissed. And then there's the sh- the, the 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 midterm kind of stuff that you just spoke about, which is more implementation and policies and. Um, you know, uh, uh, adjustments of your security controls. You know, that's the one thing that I think most people sometimes overlook is you set a security control in January, you know, in, in February, you're probably going to have to adjust it slightly to the business. Yep. Um you're going to have to adjust it to the threats. And so that's kind of the midterm stuff, right? And then the long-term is really the long-term map of what the business is planning to do and how security can support that part of the business. Would that be a fair assessment in your mind?
1: Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. And to expand on some of the points, and so we go back to like the tactical stuff, it's it's those alerts, but it's also all the interactions with the IT teams, as things come up. Um, especially in a maturing program where you're starting to work more closely with IT, um, you're starting to put some better preventative controls in place, um, where they need to interact with the information security team in order to get things like firewalls opened or get policy or procedure adjusted um, to help meet the needs of both teams, and, and engaging in that that exercise of, of collaboration and compromise. Um, with you know, kind of the underpinning of risk tolerance of the business, um, and then on like the long term level, looking at you know where the business is going, um, and and what we can do to continue to help the business do what it needs to do, uh, to try not to be an interruption to the business, but to have that you know IT and networking and, and information security walk side by side. Um, and what's interesting is you know in a previous a previous employer. One of the assertions that was made by the CISO, which was really interesting was that, you know, information security was always trying to find ways to make the colleague experience better. And so really trying to find ways that information security seamlessly integrated into IT operations and IT process. Um, And then on the IT side, they were trying to find ways to make things more intrinsically secure. And so, you know, trying to spend time on like, how can we turn these knobs to reduce the instances of things happening? So it was kind of a cool, you know, cool thought process and something that, you know, I would strive for anywhere is to try and have that relationship with your partners across IT, where they're interested in making sure that they're building in and baking in security from the, you know, the, the system side, but also like the development side, um, and building that culture in those relationships. And then on the I- IT security side. Um, what can we do to try and make the experience better while keeping that that level of risk, you know, at a reasonable level.
0: Yeah, that level of risk is one of the greatest mysteries of cybersecurity. Right. Yeah. We talk a lot about organizational risk. And risk can be determined by a lot of different, you know, kind of measures, right? It can be money, it can be data, it can be Expose. There's there's a lot of different aspects to risk. In your personal opinion, Matthew, what's the what's the right way to measure risk for you?
1: Oh my, um, I, I'm not sure. There's one way to measure risk to rule them all. Um, it differs by organization from organization to organization, even within those organizations. Um, it differs from person to person. So, you know, you have one CISO to another. They're going to have a different risk tolerance, a different approach to that, um, a different way to measure risk. Um, I, I would say, and I know this is kind of a non committal answer, is a little bit of, of quantitative and qualitative type analyses on risk. And so you use the quantitative analysis, you use the money, you use your you know, key performance indicators, your key risk indicators. Uh, to set that baseline for where you want to be at and then you go in and you try and qualify the risk. you try and understand by working with your partners across IT or finance or whoever the, the teams who could be in, impacted by you know a significant incident or a potential breach um, what they want to protect and, and what their level of, uh, of willingness to kind of sacrifice some functionality or some some time in order to protect those assets. So, and then ultimately it has to roll up to the business leadership, you know, to the board or to to the, the, the C-level suite, the C-suite, in order to make sure that, one, they're willing to allocate the spend, um, that they know what the level of risk is if they can't allocate that spend, and that they're willing to accept the risk for things they can't support.
0: Yeah, um, it's not a noncommittal answer. It's a very reasonable answer, Matthew. Um you know, it's um, we live in a very interesting time when it comes to risk, simply because most boards and executive leaderships don't themselves know how to take on this cyber risk, because the traditional way is to look at what insurance will cover and what not it right because that's how they measure stuff is my risk is uh, what my business insurance covers. Essentially, what you know—the delta between what insurance will pay me and what my projected loss could be from something like this—yeah, right.
1: Yeah, and I think it just requires constant communication with with that level, and that's you know, that's I'm yet to be there in my career with you know communicating with board with the board and with the executive leadership, with the exception for some you know some occasional proposals or or input into some of the decision-making process. But, um, you know, just being able to have a, a frequent conversation with them to inform them of, you know, one, kind of the key challenges, those, those top challenges that require attention from that level. That could be um, growth of risk in a specific area. You know, you take those metrics up to them and say, look, we've got this many vulnerabilities or this many policy violations or this many um, incidents. Um, this many um, qualified opinions on a report and here's the investment that we need in order to uh, to succeed and, and start fixing some of these problems that we're having. And once again, businesses may differ whether they want to focus on maybe compliance and say, hey, we need to get these reports out to our customers. And so, we need to make sure that we've got clean reports. So, let's focus on getting the basics in place. Some may want to have a more mature, uh, you know, security monitoring, stock, and incident response program, you know, especially if they're being targeted by advanced adversaries. And so, it's a, it's definitely a case-by-case decision, and it really comes to, you know, the security team to help inform those decisions.
0: Yeah, I, I like, I like what you, um, I, I, I like how you kind of laid that out, and I appreciate your honesty with with our audience a little bit about, you know, I'm not at the executive. Side yet, And I kind of enjoy bringing sometimes people who are uh, reporting to the CISO to talk on the show, uh, mm-hmm. because I feel like sometimes um, we're um, as CISOs, we're unable to really kind of um, um, disconnect from what we're trying to do to kind of hear some of the challenges and experiences that people uh, that work with us go through and um, You know, we get so focused on what we need to do in order to keep the program going. And most CISOs and big programs don't have time uh, Mm -hmm. a lot for their team because they're trying to go across the business. They're reaching out across the aisle, right? They're evangelizing. Um, People always tell me like, what's a CISO role? And I'm like, well, you gotta be a sales guy, a marketing guy, a people guy, and you gotta know your stuff. And everything I just said here describes a unicorn. (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah it's an interesting role but that's actually that's a good point that you really are selling uh the services that we provide as an infosec team um and and the business has to buy into it and you Um, gotta know the business yes absolutely and you have to lead with with good data right and so um you know taking fear uncertainty and doubt to to anybody I know, when when I'm approached with a sales pitch, you know, if somebody's if I'm approached by somebody in a sales role, it's like, oh, you have all these problems, and the world's gonna end. I tend to tune them out. Whereas if somebody's like, hey, here's a very specific problem that we need to solve. Um, we have the solution to that problem. Here's how we can partner with you to to solve a problem that you have, uh, to help support a process or something like that, or augment um, personnel. Then you know that's where vendors get my attention and i would imagine at the board level it's no less you know no no difference uh is is trying to understand you know what is the problem we need to to solve and and how can you as an information security team solve that problem
0: yeah you, you that's such a great point right which is you know how do you start solving these problems to the business um you know it, it's funny because when you you when you talk to CISOs, it's, it's based on their background as to where they spend most of their time. Right. Um, but, but it always goes back to, well, I've got to build bridges across the business, right? I got to get yeah. champions across the business to really not only support our InfoSec pro, pro program, but make sure that we align with what they're trying to do. Cause at the end of the day, um, most people see InfoSec as a red line and a budget sheet. So how do I turn it into a black line and get everyone to kind of understand why we get the budget that we get and why we do what we do, you know, to support their mission um, and get them across the finish line with what they're trying to do?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: And, and that creates a whole new set of of, of of very interesting things. So let me ask you this. You, you've been doing this for, for quite some time now, um, 12 years almost, th- that you've been in, in, in InfoSec. So what are some of the problems you're starting to see InfoSec solve? And what are some of the challenges we still have a long ways to
1: go before we're able to resolve them? Let me think about that. So um, I think... <laughs> Yeah, from a problem perspective, I think it's communication uh, and emotional intelligence. And so, what I tend to see is a lot of folks who are very technically inclined, and they're absolutely necessary. Um, but where they lack is those skills to communicate with um, with the people that they're they're doing business with and the people that they're they're charged to protect. And so, um, you we I I see a lot of people who want to do security for the sake of doing security and that's monitoring and just stopping all the things and um, locking down as much as possible just because it's secure. Um, but that doesn't address risk. And so, you know, I think it, more visibility on why we're doing what we're doing um, more focus on that emotional intelligence aspect really trying to understand the people that you're working with and ultimately working for and you know when i say working for i'm talking about the business and working for it because you know we're we're partners in this role but ultimately you know we're there to help support you know it teams and development teams to make sure that they can continue to deliver on their mission as far as solving those problems um Mm -hmm. That's uh, I, I my recommendation to people I work with is you know pick up a book, watch podcasts, listen to uh, to how people have solved those problems in the past, and, and take those recommendations. Recognize that um, you know sometimes you're not the one with all the answers. Recognize that sometimes the blunt force intr- instrument isn't the right way to solve a problem. Um, in understanding where you need to, you know, go in with maybe a scalpel or something like that. So and that's, I know, for me, that's an area that I've spent a lot of time trying to improve on, because uh, the military doesn't really at least, you know, when I was in the Marine Corps doesn't really teach you emotional intelligence. And yeah. so it's, it's taken a lot of time to try and, and fine tune the approach to working with people that doesn't include knife hands and, and high volume uh, coaching sessions.
0: Yeah. Emotional intelligence is a very, very wise approach by you. I think that's one of the challenges for a lot of infosec professionals is the idea of, of, of emotional intelligence, especially when you're reaching out across the organization. Right. Um, you know, it's funny when you mentioned, you know, the the security people that want to lock everything down, given we're living in a COVID-19 era where people want to lock us all down. <laughs> it, it almost translates, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it resonated, you know, with kind of the approach of if we, you know, let, let's look at our risk tolerance and see how we can manage that as well and, and learn from that. And, and that's something where... um You know, the lack of emotional intelligence is why you want to shut things down, why you want to lock as much as possible down from a security perspective, because you're not quite um, opening your eyes to what the business needs to do. Mm, Because in a perfectly secure world, you wouldn't be on the Internet, right? Exactly. if, if If you don't want risk, then don't be on the Internet. Go back to faxes and paper and pen and don't use a computer. But then you probably won't have a business.
1: Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to secure it, just unplug it, power it off and burn it. Yeah. And that's, that's not how you run a business. So a hundred percent.
0: And it's not how you manage security. Definitely yeah. not. <laughs> so I want to ask you a question and then we're going to go into a fun insight round here. Um, but uh, you know, going back to your time in the service, what's one thing you really miss about it?
1: The camaraderie, um, you know, spending time with the people you're deploying with and the people that you work with every day. And so you, you, know, you go, you grind it out every day. Um, you pull long days, long nights, and then you get that, you know, that taste of, of a little bit of time off on a deployment and you spend the time off of work with the people that you work with and you make your own recreation, you make your own time off and it just becomes this family. Um, And that's something that you don't really you don't really take with you and you don't see in the outside world. You know, everybody comes in, they do their job. And for the most part, they go back and they kind of go about their own way. And so it's that like camaraderie and family environment that's really hard to replicate on the outside.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a very uh, I think that's uh, that's something that we all miss and and and, um we definitely want to be a part of so let's move to my favorite part of the podcast we're going to put you on the hot seat matthew six questions (laughs) you get one answer um per question i may or may not let you expand your answer that is the beauty of being the host folks it's time for the ciso insight round here so let's get right into that um I'm I'm really excited. This is one of my favorite parts of the podcast because I get to discover something about you that you know I may not have known uh, prior to, um, and those are always fun, right? Because it's really uh, it's it's really the fun of the show. Um, what's one buzzword? I have a buzzword graveyard. If you don't know, um, I live in the woods of Georgia. I've got a buzzword graveyard. What's one buzzword you'd bury in my
1: graveyard? Military grade
0: okay, that's a first. I got to dig that up. Um, okay, so you're making me dig a hole. Okay, that's fine. The ground's really cold. It's December. I'm going to have to get a tractor uh, for that one. <laughs> Why military grade? Because that's a first.
1: So I know, especially in the Marine Corps, where you get the hand-me-downs and, and some you know some of the equipment you get really goes to the lowest bidder. Um, we've had to kludge a lot of solutions together in the, in the Marines to make stuff work. Um, and sometimes that relies on duct tape and... Um, uh, soldering wire and, and I've lost count of the amount of times that I've had to splice cat five in the middle of the desert. So, um, sometimes military solutions aren't the most elegant. Um, and sometimes the tools we get, we get aren't necessarily the the best for the job, but it's what we can do it, you know, with what we have. And so, you know, I always kind of look at military grade with a little bit of skepticism. Um, and I always kind of chuckle when I see a vendor use it as a, you know, military grade protection or something like that.
0: Yeah. Military grade one. You're you're right. I mean, I never thought about it. That's great. That's an out of the box kind of answer for, for that question. What's one technology that'll change the way we do cyber.
1: Oh, um, so there's so many different types, but I tend to put the focus on prevention. Um, and so, I think the thing that I like is kind of a combination of of like automated pen testing, deception technology, really understanding where your blind spots are. Um, yeah, I think once you get the the basic level of maturity in place, you know, a lot of questions, especially at my level that I'm asking, great, we're doing good. What are not we seeing? And so to be able to quickly and effectively answer that type of question and know, where our controls are failing will help us solve problems, especially as we proceed on a, you know, continued path of maturity.
0: Brilliant. What's the last book you read?
1: The last <laughs> book I read um, is actually uh, EQ Applied, and so it was um, learning about emotional intelligence, learning how to really ask the right questions, and to to try and get away from the you know fists on the desk type approach that, you know, some of the, some of the professional you are, are prone to do from time to time.
0: Last movie you saw? Oh my goodness.
1: Um, I'm trying to think. I watch so few movies. Um, I, rather interestingly, um, so when I, you know, when I'm preparing dinner and stuff like that, the kids go watch their videos and I'll usually put on Netflix and actually I think the last movie I watched was a uh, Snowden, just to see, like you know, not necessarily for or against, but just kind of an interesting movie, kind of brain candy. Um, so yeah, Snowden. kind of a purpose for the uh, conversation.
0: I-, I found the Snowden movie to be, as a former military dude, uh, disturbing and eye-opening at the same time because it's the freedom of the press is one of the gr- one of the ground rules of our democracy. A free and free and independent press but then snowden you know kind of exposing all that stuff is almost treasonous in some place um it, it carries it, to me it's not tre- three it, it's it's treason there's just no other way to look at it right yeah I mean, and that's
1: for me it was it was watching it without judgment and just treating it as entertainment and that's i think the key for that movie is yeah it how can it's you do that
0: so how can you do that because i can't i can't even watch a war movie without being cynical right like i'm like okay that never happens like this is stupid yeah like like i look like people will be watching be like, james is that really what it's like and i was like no no that's hollywood that's hollywood yeah. paying someone who may have done a four-year stint in infantry um and going like exactly. wow i wish i would have done this and you're like no that doesn't happen
1: yeah, that's it's it's hard, but you know, once again, it's just a, I look at it as entertainment. You know, the the backgrounds, it is what it is, and, and I'm sure you could have a whole other podcast on on that subject alone.
0: Yeah, uh, I could, but I don't want to. I think I would go down <laughs> a rabbit hole. I would end up in like a four hour Joe Rogan, Alex Jones kind of podcast, right? <laughs> uh, that, that's what it would be like. So, what's your favorite music, Matthew?
1: Um, It depends actually on my mood in the weather. So um, different seasons bring on different types of music. I don't really have a favorite. I listen to quite literally everything.
0: Brilliant. And finally, one final question before we end our interview today is what's one thing you took away from the COVID-19 crisis?
1: A family time. Um, I've been fortunate enough to spend a lot of time with family um, and definitely grateful that even in these tough times that, you know, we're able to maintain relationships, um, you know, both physically with immediate family, but also virtually. You know, I've talked to cousins and aunts and uncles that I really hadn't talked to as much as I do now. And so, getting on Facetime, getting on Zoom, and, and spending some more time with them, has been has been a blessing. And I, you know, if I have one takeaway from this, it's you know definitely be there and and be willing to talk to your family and reach out. Um, you know, just take the time and do it.
0: Yeah, that is that is one thing for sure. Especially now that we're coming up to a holiday season um you know christmas being you know just around the corner hanukkah literally kicks off in a, in a, in a few days mm-hmm. and it's a time where people spend uh the most time with their family and hopefully if if yeah i, I agree with you is as, as i hope anything if we took out of COVID is the fact that you know there's nothing like family um uh, and that you know we need to focus more on our family than anything else absolutely Folks, that's it for another episode of CISO Talk. We'll be back with one more next week. Ed Harris will be joining me. It's going to be a great, great podcast. Um, Ed, 30 years of uh, experience in cyber. So um, a lot of uh, wisdom will be be dropped down upon us all. So tune in for that. Make sure you do subscribe. Matthew Herring, thank you for your service, sir. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Thank you for coming on the show, folks. That's it for us here. We're going to sign off with um, in here in just a moment. Before I do that, though, make sure you do subscribe. Please make sure to support our great sponsors of the show. Without them, the, the this show would not be possible. So make sure to you know check them out and, and show them some love. Um, because if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here. And until next time, guys, um, thank you so much. Stay safe, stay healthy, and most importantly, stay cyber safe. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. And get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com.